How can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. Frequent job switching is commonplace, especially among the workforce's younger generations. How can employers increase job satisfaction and the chances great employees will want to stay? What have the companies ranked by their employees as best places to work figured out? It probably has a lot to do with tuning in to the employees' actual needs as human beings above and beyond their professional engagement and development. That's why Laura Gilinski, VP of Philanthropic Partnerships at Startup Nation Central, newly minted yoga teacher, and co-founder of the Israel Mindfulness Center's Corporate Mindfulness Training Program, believes that the training and appointment of chief mindfulness officers of organizations is the next big thing in HR. Join us for episode six of Let's Clarify It, in which Laura shares how, as a corporate and nonprofit communications executive, she got involved in yoga and mindfulness, what mindfulness can mean and look like in an organizational context, not just during corona, and what the role of a chief mindfulness officer of an organization can grow to become. Curious? Let's clarify it. Hey, Laura, how are you doing? Good. Wow, Daphne. I'm so happy to see you on Zoom because I haven't seen you very much in person lately. <laughs> I totally want to see you in person running or possibly at a great yoga class. You've had some kind of year, haven't you? You've been VP Philanthropic Partnerships at Startup Nation Central and you get to do really cool work there with a lot of amazing Israeli startups. In addition to that, you're into something totally new this year. Yes, I have spent the last few months really delving into yoga. I became a yoga instructor in the summer and have literally been teaching yoga every single day for that last 10 months by Zoom. But luckily, and I'm overjoyed that this is happening in the last few months, have actually been able to start teaching outside. So I have a new initiative where people join us outside free of charge in different beautiful places in Jerusalem to do yoga once a week and kind of just chill out, stretch out, have the possibility to interact with people at a social distance, but really feel good at the end of the day or the end of the morning. Incredibly generous. How did you even get into yoga? Has that always been your thing? Well, actually, I got into yoga because of running. So you and I run a lot together. When I started getting toward 50, I felt like sometimes after my run, I could barely walk. (laughs) So I decided that I really needed to start doing some stretching and doing those little stretches on the bench afterward were just not working for me. And so I decided that I should start doing yoga every time after I ran. And then I really got hooked. And I just felt like every class that I went to was made for me as if the teacher knew what I needed. And I was like, oh, must mean that I just need this. And so I decided that as I grew older, probably yoga was going to become more of my sport or my exercise, and that I should probably get really good at this because this is what I was going to be doing. So here I am. You're certainly very good at it. I wish I could do a percentage of the positions and poses that I've seen you do. And then you brought it to your workplace, right? What is that about introducing yoga into the workplace? Well, it was very interesting because when 
when Corona first started, there was a group of women that kind of got together every morning at 8.30. At the time, we thought it was going to last a few weeks, right? We didn't think this was going to be like our life for a year so far. And they had like kind of a coffee clutch every morning at 8.30. And then they kept asking me to join. And I was like, hey, whatever. So finally, I did join. And then after two or three days, they said, well, why don't you do something else? Like, Laura, maybe you could teach us yoga. So I was like, well, I'm not really an instructor yet, but okay, hey, you know, I can try this. So I started going online and just going, doing class after class online. I was already in the beginning of a yoga trainer's program. I'd sit there and I'd memorize these lessons, write them down, really learn them, and then reteach them. And people were like, wow, this is great. We love it. <laughs> so then they started asking me to do it every single day. You know, one day I had a meeting or I had something I had to do. And people were like, why aren't we having yoga today? So I was like, oh, okay, we will. It just kind of went on from there. For me, it's been kind of magical. As it has been for your participants, no doubt. And now you're about to become the executive facilitator in a corporate mindfulness training program. What's that? Interestingly, and this is kind of like, you know, all the stars aligning, but you know that I'm not that type of person. So so you'll, you'll hear that and understand what I mean. I was coming back. I was a Friday afternoon. I was in the middle of my yoga training program in Tel Aviv. And I, a friend of mine called up who was also came from a very similar line of work that I do. She was the CEO of the Core Foundation here in Israel. And she called me up and she's like, I really want you to be in a mindfulness training program. I was like, okay. And then I said, hmm, I work at Startup Nation Central, which is an organization that interacts with all of the high-tech companies here in the Israeli ecosystem. And what they basically wanted was for me to help them identify how they could interact with different companies here in the ecosystem and encourage people in those companies to be taking mindfulness courses. And at that time, when we met, I said, you know what, guys, that's really interesting But what I would suggest to you is actually creating a program that would train chief mindfulness officers in these high-tech companies so that rather than reaching out to every single individual in the company, you're actually working with the decision makers or the change agents and enabling them to sort of filter this knowledge or set of tools down to their people in their organizations. What is a chief mindfulness officer of an organization? So a chief mindfulness officer of an organization is someone whose main job, first of all, to be mapping out who's in the organization, what's happening in the organization, bringing the whole organization into a more mindful environment. So that would mean, first of all, creating the facilities within the organization to allow people to really spend time doing their work and also have the ability to detach from their work when they need to, so that they really can be very focused on what they're doing, be doing it in a place of as little conflict as possible, whether that be a conflict of time, conflict between individuals, a non-conflicted place and also creating the atmosphere for them to be able to do it. So it would be really working with the people in the organization by different groups or by different areas of activity, looking at what's going on there, and then trying to create methodologies and processes that will be able to really relieve people of the stress, 
havoc kind of conflicts that really detract from their experience at work and also detract from their ability to be creative and productive. So essentially this year you have become the self-appointed chief mindfulness officer of Startup Nation Central? Well, it's one of those things. And I think that also for me as an individual, when I kind of became the head or the leader of this little group of people who were interested in yoga as a alternative or as a way of kind of diffusing pressure, I did see that as a human being, I became much more sensitive to the nuances of the people around me. So one of my colleagues said to me at the very beginning, she's like, well, maybe we can have five minutes before you start the class that we actually speak with each other and share things and identify things that are happening in each other's lives because we don't have those hallway conversations right now, which I started to do. I also felt like there had to be some sort of, because so much time started to go by, I felt like there had to be some acknowledgement or recognition of special days, special events that were happening to people. It couldn't be that it was just this endless amount of time. So it was not only that I tried to think about something to say or something to read that was connected to this period or this day that might make it special. I was also trying to make the practice something that was relevant. So I think you were even in one of those sessions we did like the time around Independence Day or leading up to Independence Day with warrior stances. So just sort of being mindful of the fact that other things were happening in the world beside work or beside my yoga class. And then I saw that their people really had a lot of different preferences. There were people who couldn't connect in the morning because their kids were there doing Zoom. So I started taping it for them. People are really really about doing this in their way. And I think that this in their way is really, really important here because you can't force everyone to be mindful or be doing something with you the way it works for you. It's actually saying, I want to provide you with this in the way that it works for you as the other person. That makes sense. Totally. So if we think of mindfulness in an organizational setting, in the context of let's clarify it for the benefit of our listeners who are listening in order to get all sorts of tips and tricks about how they can be more effective in their communication. What would be the importance of clarity in the context of an organization becoming more mindful? Why is it important to train somebody? How would that person communicate to the organization why this needs to become a priority? Was that something that was challenging for you to get across in your organization? Yes, I've spoken quite a few times with the person who's the director of HR in our organization. I was really kind of shocked to hear that the standard period that most young people stay in a position now is about a year and a half. It's not like stay for 20 years and get the gold watch. People don't do that anymore. I actually, even though I'm older, happen to be more of a serial mover. I would say I move every five years or so. People now are moving after a year. And when you see someone's CV, it changes every year year to someone who's my age, it looks like that person is unstable. But that's not how it looks to people who are in the high tech industry. They expect to be seeing people being very volatile and changing and moving around. And that actually shows positive traits rather than looking like the person can't hold the job. But on the other hand, for the organization, it's a huge risk. You're bringing someone on, you train them for a year, year and a half until they're actually outstanding at what they do. And at that time, they're basically ready to get up and 
leave. There's lots of different things that you have to do in order to get someone to stay, like creating a career path for them, etc. By reducing all those negative atmosphere items, you're actually creating a person who's a much more happy and loyal employee. And that's a challenge, but it's something that actually can be done and is found that can be done. The other thing is, is that if people are feeling that those kind of conflicting combative activities or feelings at work are actually holding them back in terms of their creativity and their ability to be effective in their workplace, and you actually diffuse those and give them a workplace where they really feel that they can be heard, they can be creative, they can be productive, that also has the double bottom line of both encouraging them to remain loyal and involved in the organization while you're actually getting all that extra creativity and productivity from them, which is amazing. What would you say is your main message about the importance of mindfulness in an organization? So if somebody is totally new to this and they hear the word mindfulness and they think, okay, meditation, but that's an individual practice. What does that have to do with an organization? What would be your message to them? What is mindfulness in a corporate setting and what is its importance? Well, I think it's really looking around the organization and doing almost like a mapping of what's going on there and identifying the places just like an individual might that they find as, I want to say the word like strife. So if you as an individual know that you're in a tight spot right now or a crisis and you're going to require this need for mindfulness and you're going to now start meditating, what are the things in the organization that are going on that are causing people as a group to feel like they're in that area of conflict right now? And to start looking at how those areas can be diffused. Now, I think that there's a lot of different tools that might be employed to diffuse those. Maybe it's some kind of special communication workshops. It is a physical embodiment of an activity, actually saying to someone during the day, we'd like you to do a five minute meditation. Maybe it's something like yoga. Maybe it's actually sitting. I don't really eat at work so much. And when I do, I like sit over my computer. Maybe you actually have to have people stop, create something to eat together and eat it together. So I think there's a lot of different methods that you could use in an organization, depending on how tight things are, or how conflicted things are to really work on creating a much more, I would say, relaxed and mindful is just like taking the moment to be in that moment and be in both enjoying it, savoring it and living it. It sounds funny, but like if you're creating a salad or doing something with your colleagues, it's around food and you're not on the phone and you're not on your computer and you're not answering a child right now, you're actually being mindful of creating something together it could be that it has a lot more passion beyond just creating a salad to nourish yourself. You're nourishing yourself in another way with that activity. That sounds like a cool new way of improving communication within the organization this year, within the entirely remote circumstance that we're in. Yes. Have you found other ways in which bringing more mindfulness into the organization has actually improved organizational communication this year? There were two different things that we did, which I think were definitely both mindful in the activity and mindful or 
more attuned to the people working in the organization. Most of them are actually around people who are at home with their kids right now. So I just saw a report on the news yesterday. It was in the States, like there had been an uptick in the number of men who had been brought into new positions in the last year, 16%. And the number of women who had downgraded in their position or been furloughed was tremendous. It was like a huge, huge number. And that's because people who are dealing with having either a lot of children, especially young children at home, it's really, really a job that's very hard to juggle right. So we did two things specifically for this group. First of all, we took off the hours from 12 to 2 in the afternoon and basically made them no meeting hours. It doesn't mean that everybody in the organization can't meet from 12 to 2, but that you don't have meetings which require people who have young children up to the age of 12 to be in those meetings. Now, the other thing that we've asked people not to do is not to hold those meetings anyway and then just not invite that person. We don't want them to act actually be left out of the meeting and then in a way be double penalized there. So we've really, as an organization, marked off those times and kept them holy in a way as times that are no interference time. The other thing is that we actually were given a grant, a small grant, like a babysitting stipend to help people who had young kids at home be able to deal with the months that the kids were in not any kind of framework, including the kids who were in nursery schools and with caretakers. And it was just that the thought that you could bring in someone for a few hours in the morning, get the kids on Zoom, answer their questions, give them a snack if they needed. So you just needed that person for two or three hours a day. And then you could actually focus on the work that you had to do without being distracted with trying to help your kids get on Zoom and someone needed a glass of chocolate milk <laughs> and really just be focusing on your work. So we pretty much, I think, gave people the option of having at least the hours from eight to two, pretty conflict-free in terms of you know what the organization could offer them remotely. Very thoughtful. Is this whole idea of organizations appointing and having trained a mindfulness officer, is that something that's already become popular? Are we late to the game here in Israel in that regard? Is it something that's already prevalent in the States? It is prevalent. I think that obviously, as is in many other cases, the trailblazers have been the really big kind of very modern type organizations. So like you'll see even SAP, IBM, Google, those companies have already definitely integrated that. And I think that the reason people are often jealous or want to be working in those kind of organizations is the benefits that those organizations give to their employees exactly for the reasons that we discussed. And that was, of course, before Corona. So that's interesting. I would say that Israel in general, I think that there are places, the high tech industry is nice to its employees. And I've seen a lot of great gestures of goodwill. I'll give a call out because I just saw it because my son was working there to Lightrix. It's a Jerusalem based firm, which you probably know. They have been really bringing in young people as couriers to bring people the different furnishings from their office that they'd like to have at their home. I think every week or two, they send them an amazing surprise box of something or other to just sort of make them feel happy. So I feel like they definitely nailed that. And I'm sure that there's many other companies who are doing the same. They're notoriously amazing in that regard. 
Exactly. And I'm sure there's many other companies like that that are doing those kind of things. I just don't know them right now. And that's fine. I do think that having this as an established piece of the entire organizational infrastructure is probably pretty new. I think we're having to do a lot of explaining of what this program is that we're now launching, but I think people are going to get it. So I can say that I started putting things on my LinkedIn and Facebook feeds, and they're getting a lot of attention. And I personally am doing a lot of explanatory phone calls just to kind of give people more information. What are people most misunderstanding? What are people likely to misunderstand about this concept of organizational mindfulness? I think the thing that I'm finding is that people, they're trying to reconcile their idea of mindfulness and meditation. It's exactly what you said with how do I do this in my organization? And a little bit of a fear of, so then I graduate this program, I become the chief mindfulness officer, then what do I do? So I think that the really positive part of that is that the third module of this program is actually going to be a lot of group dynamic, people creating a project that will be relevant for their organization, and then creating the tools for themselves to then integrate it. So you're actually hitting the road running because you know what you want to do within your organization. You're familiar with your organization and you know the problems that you want to solve. And the mindfulness center here is quite large. They have a lot of really strong and successful trainers. And they're also willing to, some of them are willing to be mentors or accompany people as they create these changes within their organizations. So people won't feel like they finished the course and then they're lost. So they really have somewhere to turn to and people who would definitely be willing to assist them as they take their first steps there. When I do it and I feel like I would then graduate this and start working on my project, I think I'll feel very confident that there's actually someone there to help because it's not necessarily something that you get on the first shot. You might have to take a few tries to get things going. And is the training a several month engagement and then pretty much you graduate and that's the end of the relationship or is there ongoing mentorship afterwards in terms of if people have questions about how to implement and they want to consult on how to implement different mindfulness practices or behaviors within their organization, could they then go back and consult with the Israeli Mindfulness Center in terms of how to go about it? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, the training is quite extensive. It's six months. It's once a week. So I mean, it's not endless, but it's six months long and you can then review the materials because a lot of them are going to be on Zoom. They'll be recorded, etc. So you can definitely review them. And there will be people like myself and others in the course that are going to be there to answer questions, facilitate getting the answers, etc. And definitely the Mindfulness Center sees itself after that six-month period as a very appropriate mentor. That's probably going to require some extra payment or something because you would then engage with a mentor. But there definitely will be opportunity to ask questions, etc. And then if someone wants to engage in a more official partnership, be sure that the Mindfulness Center will be willing to do that with them. Sounds good. You know, very often, especially with the type of startups and high-tech companies that you work with, when they need to explain to someone who's not from their field what it is that they do, they use an analogy or a metaphor to help that audience understand what is it like. So anybody that's in any kind of navigation says, we're the ways of something. Direct drug delivery, uh, directly targeted, it's like a missile. What would you say if you were trying to explain to somebody what corporate 
Corporate Mindfulness was going to be to organizations, is it like any other previous relatively newly created role that organizations didn't used to be familiar with, and then they created a position because they saw the value of it? Can you think of another field within the corporate world that didn't used to have an officer dedicated to that within the organization, whether it's their sole position or an additional responsibility that they take? Is it like anything else? I know this sounds a little strange, but the parallel I would bring is the person who's in charge, I don't know what they're called, exactly how they call it in English, but sort of like an officer that you report any kind of sexual harassment. Even when I started working, I don't think that there was even a person that you were supposed to report to if something unpleasant or something that you felt was inappropriate happened in the workplace. And I feel like at a certain point that became de rigueur that every single organization has an officer who you go to and someone you feel comfortable with. And that person is in charge of dealing with those issues. For you and me and any other woman and man, we see that how valuable this is to just have that person there and that there's a clear directive on the wall of your organization that says, we have zero tolerance for this. These are the steps you take if there's something that happens that you feel is inappropriate or untoward. And I feel like probably at the very beginning, that just seems strange and maybe made some people feel uncomfortable that there was actually going to be a reporting requirement if you did something that was not appropriate or didn't seem appropriate to the person who was on the receiving end. And yet now it's completely obvious that that's how those things are handled. So I would say that although I think this is like coming from a place of really kind of hugging people you know, <laughs> rather than deterring them, I think that, that this is kind of one of those new roles that in 10 or 15 years is going to be so obvious because every single organization is going to have this type of person in this type of role. But now it's just new and people are going to get used to it. And I think in some organizations, it may be the HR person and they will just have to up their game a little. It's not going to be, in some cases, a technical position. It's actually going to be a position that requires real strategic diffusion of issues and bringing in a completely new corporational culture. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this rolls out. Valuable. Have you become the go-to person in your organization such that the ideas like marking off lunchtime with no meetings or the grant for babysitting in addition to the yoga lessons, have you become the person that if anybody within the organization feels like they have a particular challenge, either due to Corona right now or in general, balancing between their lives, their professional are you the person that they come to to ask, could we work out some sort of creative solution? And then you help them figure it out with management? I would say that it's more director of HR in our organization. And I've actually suggested to her that she might want to take this course. So I will keep you updated when I get an answer to that question. <laughs> Okay. So who within organizations are actually the candidates that are being targeted for this type of course? Who's being encouraged to enroll? So we're basically looking at two groups. It should be someone who's an executive on the executive team, just because what you said, that, you know, it might not be the HR person, but it might be someone in the organization that people come to when they want change to be made. And that's as you noted. So our initial outreach is to CEOs and directors of HR. Clearly, if someone is the director of development or the CTO or the CFO, and we feel like they're the person who would be the best at this serving in this role in the organization, we're happy to receive them. We also are hoping that we'll have more than one person come from each organization so that there will never be a time in the organization when that person isn't available and then 
also give that person in this role the possibility of being completely mindful when they're on vacation, when they're on maternity leave, when they're doing reserve duties in Israel, so that they can feel also their life isn't run by this, that they're actually have different options. And these weekly meetings for six months are taking place online, even if God willing, at some point early within it, people will be allowed to get together again in person? We're hoping very much that we're going to be able to bring it face to face. We feel like there's a lot of benefit in being able to do that, especially in some of the group dynamic. What has been really lucky for us is because of the Corona and the Zoom, we're actually able to have some speakers that we would have never been able to dream of having world-class experts in this field who are going to be patched in from the U.S., from Europe, from Asia. So we definitely have a really great lineup of speakers, but we do hope that even if we have a Zoom class with a speaker from overseas, that we'll actually bring the audience or the participants together so that all the work that we do before and after that piece of the session will be able to be more of a human interaction. Totally. I hope you can. And the executives are mainly from high-tech companies, or it could be any type of organization. Are you looking for nonprofit executives, governmental, or just specifically from the corporate circle mainly? I kind of put out our messages mostly through LinkedIn, a little bit through Facebook, etc. And it was also kind of connected to who the executive group in this organization are connected to. So I see a lot of interest actually coming from the nonprofit sector as well. And nonprofit sector has been both hard hit during this period. And on the other hand, has had to learn completely new tools for interacting with the people that they're serving on one hand and with donors and partners on the other hand. So it's interesting to me that that's also a group that's sort of come out of the woodwork and might be interested in participating in a program like this. Cool. I want to be very mindful of your time as such a busy executive <laughs> yourself with tons going on. You want to leave us with your key insight a year into Corona now. What have you learned that other organizations could learn from you as well about the importance of communication, about what needs to be adjusted and adapted in communication, given this new reality that's become the permanent rather than the temporary? So I would say there's two small things that I think are relevant. One is really offering people the opportunity to have some sort of, I would say, frameworked conversation that's not about work. So I've used the yoga as one of those opportunities, but we do have in our organization, All Hands on Deck, meeting every Thursday. And occasionally in those meetings, we sort of break off into little group discussion rooms and we try and talk about something that's really not work-related. So sometimes there's guided questions. Sometimes there's someone who actually gives a lecture or talk about something that's not related to work. And so that's kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed. And the other thing, and I mentioned this, I don't know, in one of my recent yoga classes was that there's something about this time that requires people to really be looking at moments of kind of little moments of pleasure is the right word. It requires very little right now to make a very big statement. So there's these things like having things delivered to people's homes or acknowledging someone publicly about doing something. It's important at this time to look at successes, acknowledge them, give people credit for achieving them, and really just spending a moment of, I don't know if it's grace or attention on that thing, because there's a lot of monotony. There's a lot of time that's spent doing things that are the same. And if you have one single moment during the day that stands out for you right now, 
that, I think it's very important. And I think taking a moment to acknowledge and savor success or some other good friendship or something is just something that we can really all learn right now. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I will link up with the registration details about the Corporate Mindfulness Training Program for people that are interested in finding out more details. And I want to wish you a lot of luck and success and pleasure and meaning out of being a facilitator in the course. And thanks so much for the amazing yoga work that you're offering so generously to so many people. And I look forward to running and having coffee with you really soon. Amazing. Thanks, Daphna. And thanks so much for giving us this opportunity to share. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.